Okay, okay, listen. I'm starting this show right now because I have an announcement. I have a message I have to pass on. Okay? I have a message that I have to pass on. And guess who's from? Who? Who's it from? It's from the Toronto Raptors. Oh! Yo, what'd you get? What'd you get? Listen, please, listen. All right, here we go. And I quote, All fans have one week to claim their fanship for the Toronto Raptors because the Toronto Raptors will not be accepting any bandwagon applications during the 2020 playoff season. This is a PSA. This is a public service announcement. This is a PSA. This is a public service announcement from the Toronto Raptors, the 2019 NBA champions, and you know what? The 2020 NBA champion. So if I, if I hops off the bandwagon when Kawhi left, can I still get on? Listen, listen. Really and truly, the whole model should be if you weren't with us when Kawhi left, then you ain't with us now. But we know, we know what's gonna happen, okay? There's gonna be some bandwagoness. All right, the whole world's gonna wanna jump on the bandwagon, you know, and you know what? Like, it's okay, we know it's gonna happen, but we're accepting applications only for the next week. Claim your fanship now before it's too late. Can Spicy P, P Skill, still be my favorite player? Can he be that guy? Listen, if Pascal Siakam isn't that guy for you, then I don't know what you're doing. Straight up. I don't know what you're doing. Did you see what happened last night? What, like, which part? This guy took over the game. Which part? The Toronto Raptors beat the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> and And held uh, Joel Embiid to what points? Zero points. Goose egg. Goose egg. I don't want to hear it, Joel. I, wipe the tears. Because you ain't got none anymore. Wipe the tears. I don't want to see anymore. Listen, listen, listen. I don't know what more the Toronto Raptors have to do to prove that they're real, okay? They held LeBron to 13. They held Kawhi to 12. They held Lillard to 9. And now they held Joel to 0? I'm, I'm sorry. Right now, Joel Embiid is top 10 in the MVP race. And he was held to 0 points. Emad, have you ever seen that before in your life? No. But I've seen him cry. And I think he was crying last night too. Abu who? Abu who? <laughs> listen, 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 listen. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. What I saw last night from the Toronto Raptors was sheer dominance. Dominance. All I'm saying is that when when if Pascal Siakam can hit a buzzer beater dunk, and every uh, it wasn't it, like he he didn't need it. And people still went like he was a grown man. Bro, it's over. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Yesterday, last night, when Pascal hit that disrespectful buzzer beater dunk to end the game and stood there with his hands out, his hands just out, I'm like, this guy is actually the best player in the league right now. I'm no, 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 no. I don't want no, no, no. Listen, no. this guy is the best player in the NBA no. right now. I'm telling you right now, the top two hottest players in the league right now, Pascal Siakam and Luka. Before we get to Luka, though, 
Before we even get to Luca, you listen. Gotta, you gotta put Giannis. Giannis, what? He dropped a fifty. He dropped a fifty. In in a in a offensive heavy league, yeah. He should be dropping fifty. This man's the most dominant force in the league since Shaq. James Harden. What about James Harden? Doing his thing. He's still hooping. Last time I checked, James Harden got whooped by Luca the other night. But I'm not saying that that Luca ain't better than him. I'm saying that yo know, Harden is still doing his thing. Giannis is still dropping 50. You can't put Pascal like on a on a pedestal like that. You know? Pascal deserves to be on a pedestal because here's two things. Listen, listen, listen. One, this was never predicted. Okay, I mean if you're a Toronto Raptors fan, you knew this was gonna happen. All right. I mean if you're a true Raptors fan, like you you shouldn't be surprised. Like you knew this was gonna happen. But the rest of the NBA, I mean, they thought we were done once we lost Kawhi, right? I'm not even going to refer to him as Kawhi anymore. I'm going to refer to him as the L.A. guy, okay? You know, they thought we were done once we lost the L.A. guy, right? And, you know, they thought that the L.A. guy was really just, like, the nucleus of the team. But let me tell you something. The other day I was watching Undisputed, and my boy, Shannon Sharp, Shay Sharp, he made a very bold statement. This wasn't even a bold statement. This was just straight facts. The man said, don't act like Kawhi went to a team and won a championship with a bunch of bums. And he said, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam will be all-star. Oh, they will. But you can't base it off Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp says ludicrous things all the time. I'm sorry, Deshaun. Listen, listen. He may say ludicrous things all the time, but I think that was probably one of the most insightful, insightful, and just true statements I've ever heard come from the mouth of Shannon Sharp. Look, I know you're really high on the Raptors right now, but can we just, you know, maybe like dial it back? Like just, you know, temper expectations. Like, sure, they might go to the finals, but like, it's going to be a long, long, long road, you know? A lot of growth needs to happen. A lot of things need to fall in place. It's still been, like, less than 15 games. Listen, all I know is this. We're undefeated at home. Pascal's balling. Freddie's balling. Boucher's balling. Davis is balling. Who else is balling? Gasol ain't balling yet, though. Gasol ain't balling. You sound like you're in love. Like, you're in love with the Raptors right now. Like, this is... You are... You are star-crossed lovers with the Toronto Raptors right now. And you want everybody to love them with you. Listen, man. I grew up in Toronto, okay? Of course I'm going to love the Raptors. What do you expect? Come on, man. I grew up on Bosch. I grew up on Banyani. I even grew up on Jalen Rose, bro. Come on, now. Of course I'm going to love the Raptors. I was loving them back then, and I'm going to love them even more now. So you're going to tell your kids that Andre Banyani was the number one, number one pick? Is that what you're going to tell your kids? Of course I'm going to tell my kids Andrea Bargnani was the number one overall pick because you know why? It just makes the story even sweeter. All right, man. You go do that. You go do that thing because, honestly, I, I lo- I, I'm not a Raptors fan and I will not hop on the bandwagon, but I respect them. I ho- always have, always will. You know what? I might even tell my kids Mark Gasol was Andrea Bargnani. <laughs> Just to clean up the history a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Just to make the history look good a little bit. I might tell my kids, Marcus Gasol was Andrea Bargnani. All right? But listen, listen. Holy, that was a, that was a long intro. We forgot, we forgot the intro. 
Welcome to the Persevere Podcast. My name is Deshaun Steven. And I'm Emad. All right, we're back for another week. We're back for episode five, episode five. Emad, 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 let's get into this. Here we go, here we go. All right, Vanier Cup happened this weekend, okay? Here we go. Calgary Dinos defeated Montreal Carabang, all right? 27-13. Emad, tell me what you saw in this game. Okay, it was much closer. It was much closer than uh, the score actually says at the end because uh, Calgary scored at the end. But I saw a lot of uh, mistakes from Montreal, a lot of crucial errors, um, you know, a lot of penalties. They didn't capitalize on the takeaways. And, you know, that that is a result of why you they kept it close all the way through. But that because of that, they couldn't, you know, take over the game or capitalize on their opportunities. You know, what? I agree with you. Um, here we go. This is something I learned on Saturday before I watched the game. I learned that the Montreal Caravan only scored seven touchdowns on offense all season. That is that is crazy for a team that's in the national championship game. You never hear of an offense scoring only seven touchdowns heading into a national championship game. That's that's unheard of, right? I also learned that their offensive coordinator is Anthony Calvillo, who's also, you know, former, if you don't know, former quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes, uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks in CFL history. So it's it it's kind of weird to wrap my head around the fact that here's a team, their offensive coordinator is the greatest quarterback statistically in CFL history, actually statistically one of the greatest quarterbacks in football history, pro football history. Yet they're only able to score seven touchdowns throughout the entire regular season. And you saw this throughout the game on offense numerous times. They just couldn't overcome that Calgary defense. That Calgary defense was able to stop them time in and time out. And really and truly, you only saw that one uh, rushing touchdown by Malky in the second quarter. And then that was really it for the Montreal offense the entire day. Uh, So it's interesting to just see a team enter a national championship with just seven touchdowns, but they were still able to keep it close, right? They were still able to keep it close. Uh, they were still able to keep it a tight, a uh, tight game entering the fourth quarter. They were still within reach of tying the game and possibly even winning the game. But you can see clearly that their lack of offensive power throughout the season really came back to haunt them in this Vanier cup. You also saw a lot of uh, big plays from Calgary. You know, you got Phil Pot that balled, the man put it on, and and Sangaro just like he really just he was more than just a game manager in that one. He he took a lot of big shots down the field, but man, if if you can't stop a good defense and you don't have that offense, I don't know how you can like how I'm also shocked hearing this too that they only had seven offensive touchdowns in the playoffs. Listen, I want to say this first off. <laughs> Jalen Philpot, absolute baller. All right, put out a post about this man after the game. Only four catches. All right, 116 yards. Two of them were triple coverage. Let me tell you something. Um, I had a brief conversation with Jalen Philpot after the Vanier Cup. Brief conversation. And all I have to say is this. I'm going to tell you what I told. One of the things I told the man was, listen, send me your highlight tape. Okay? Send me your highlight tape because that needs to be seen. Okay? I had a brief conversation. I said, send me your highlight tape. 
because that needs to be seen. So I'm gonna tell you right now. He said he have it in the next two weeks. Within the next two weeks, couple of weeks, look out for Jalen Philpott's highlight tape because I'm telling you right now, it's gonna be real. It's gonna be nice. He is. He's a first team All Canadian. He's one of the best receivers in the country. Um, let's also not forget his brother Tyson, another one of the best receivers in the country. These two guys are. These two brothers are. They're amazing. I think. Aside from the Ford brothers, I think right up there with the Ford brothers, the Philpots are the best twin duo in Canadian football. What do you think? You know, honestly, because they, they're in Calgary, I don't get to see much of them. But the fact that, you know, you got... I, is it, I, don't, I don't think it's his last year of eligibility, is it? It's just his second year. Second. It's just his second... It's just their second year. Yep. And we're starting to get to know them on a national level yep. for real. You know, like, they're, what could their ceiling be? You know, that like, you, you still have to find out. You still got to watch. And honestly, just seeing the, the diving catches that Philpott made, the sideline catches, like, that's talent. That's skill. And, you know, you don't get to see that a lot in Canadian football, especially at the student level. And honestly, man, Jalen, just keep balling. Just keep doing your thing. Listen, I uh, I don't know if people realize this, but Jalen Philpott, this year he was a first-team All-Canadian for the Calgary Dinos. But his brother, Tyson Philpott, last year was the U Sports Rookie of the Year. So these are two receivers who are brothers that are very accomplished and are proven threats in Canadian football. So I'm just excited to see what their third year is going to be like because, listen, first year it was Tyson. It was all Tyson. Rookie of the year. Everything. Best, best, one of the best receivers in the country. All right, he got his credit. Now this year Jalen comes on the scene. Jalen tears it up. One of the best returners in the country. One of the best receivers in the country. First team all Canadian. What is their third year going to be like? Right? Like, you know, one, one showed up, one showed out first year. A next one showed out second year. In the third year now, are both of them going to show out? Like, what's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen, Ema? Could could he be MVP? We've seen an MVP, a wide receiver MVP before. But after just, you know, watching this guy on the national level, yeah. Like, yeah, man. Like, go go do that. Go go to the next stage. Get, the, get to the next level of your growth because, yo, the sky's the limit for you and honestly a lot of wide receivers should take note because this is how you can really be part of the team and not just be the icing on the cake which some people think a wide receiver is for a lot of teams no like you want people to do defenders to cater around you and like drape you and still ball out you know uh yeah you're right we saw curly Gittins jr uh in 2017 when oua mvp with the laurier golden hawks we saw k on julian grant win AUS MVP a few years, years ago with the St. FX X-Men in the AUS. To be honest, I don't see why either of the Philpott twins can uh, win MVP out in Canada West because really and truly, I mean, this year, the MVP was Adam Mackhart uh, from Saskatchewan Huskies. Great running back, uh, number one running back in the country. But really and truly, when you look at it, these two Philpott twins, they are dangerous. I mean... Emad, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the Vanier Cup, you got the Philpott twins returning the ball. And you talked about special teams last week, so I'm going to bring up special teams right now because this was – special teams was a huge part of this game, right? 
but you have the Philpot twins returning punts, returning kickoffs, and on every single punt, Montreal is punting the ball out of bounds because they don't want to put it in Jalen or Tyson's hand. You know what I'm saying? If you have a player like that that is willingly forcing a team to punt the ball out of bounds every single drive, that is a game changer right there. You're dangerous. You're dangerous when you don't even need to touch the ball, right? And and people know it. Oh man, like th- this is. It, I understand that um, it's a it's a tactic, but when when a team thinks that you, they like you won't get it, I think I saw a return from Calgary that they took it back, uh, very deep or not not very deep, pretty deep into the Montreal uh, territory, and. I, I don't I think that was like the the one return that they allowed them to do that. Right. So it makes sense why they did and it was a good tactic, but maybe if you can find a guy that's that dangerous, you found a gift. And I think Calgary knows it. I think the, the the league knows it. Anybody that faces them knows it. And that's that's the tactic to use. Well, like I said last week on the episode, when you have an elite program, it comes with having elite talent. All right. And the Philpot twins are elite talent. But we got to get back to the Vanier Cup. <laughs> we got to get back to talking about the Vanier Cup, okay? So, as we talked about, this this was a defensive affair, right? Uh, both teams had trouble scoring early on in the game. Calgary, I was surprised to see, couldn't score early on in the game. I mean, of course, they had a couple of highlight catches from Jalen Philpott, of course, right? Adam Snagger to Philpott, one of the most, that's one of the most dangerous combos in the country. But they just couldn't find the end zone until the second quarter. Emad... But we want to talk about special teams. I really want to talk about special teams because last week you had a huge emphasis on special teams and how special Calgary was against McMaster. And in my opinion, they displayed, they had a beautiful special teams display against Montreal on Saturday. What did you see special teams-wise from the Calgary Dinos in the Vanier Cup? Uh, I, I saw I saw a lot of uh, good defense where, you know, Montreal tried a couple uh, trick plays on special like when on their third down where they faked the punt and yeah they got the first down but they it's almost like Calgary kind of knew that something was going to happen so it wasn't too big of a play they just kept the drive going and yeah if you keep a drive going it does affect the rest of your defense but if you can hold down a big play on a on a trick play like that you will be fine and so a lot of people think that you know takeaways are important scoring the red zone are important people do forget that the special teams is also very important and like like you mentioned you know punting it away from the philpop brother um that that kind of puts you at a deficit in terms of how do you how do you play the field in that in that case and then seeing the kicker you you know like i I mentioned last week you just have to play half the field and so w- when they got to the 30 yard, he he could easily make that 30 yard 38 yard field goal that he did in the first half. You know, a lot of people didn't really take this in throughout the day, but even on the made field goals by Montreal, there are highlights of Calgary's field goal block unit after the play hitting the kicker. Right? Hitting the kicker. No flag. No flag. But listen, that's a W on specials because you're getting in the kicker's head, right? You're making a statement. You're saying like, hey, listen, just want to let you know we're here, right? Feel this. Know I'm here. You can see me, but I want you to feel me. You know what I'm saying? 
And a lot of people don't even realize it, or some people may realize it, but the real dagger of the game was in the fourth quarter when Montreal went for that fake punt um, to, to get that first down, and they never got it. They had to bring out the chains to measure for the first down, and they were half a ball short, less than half a ball short, right? So really and truly, listen, from what, what I saw from Calgary from a special team's perspective, these are the takeaways. One, they made the kicker feel feel them, right? Simono, he's one of the best kickers in the country. He's one of the best kickers in the AUS. Also, big kudos to him because uh, going into last season, coming out of last season, he had to battle cancer, right? And he beat cancer, right? He went he went through six chemotherapy treatments and was able to, you know, beat cancer and make a training camp for this season, right? So that's a big kudos to him, honestly. Big respects to him for that, honestly. But Calgary really did take advantage of, of getting to him. They knew they were able to get to him quick on all their field goal and pump blocks and and on some of those plays, they made him feel a little bit of hurt, right? Uh, with regards to the fake punts, Calgary was able to pick up on those fake pu- punts really quick. Cal- um, Montreal is one of those teams where they have a lot of talented players. They have a lot of skilled players that can throw the ball, run the ball. They've had a lot of they have a lot of skilled players that can play quarterback, play running back, and receiver. They took a big advantage of that athleticism that they have on their team. And it just didn't work against Calgary. Calgary was able to pick up on a lot of those fake punts, a lot of those fake field goals, a lot of those wildcat option plays, right? They were able to shut a lot of those things down. And then, of course, as you talked about the field game, the the positional game, you have a punter that is punting the ball out of bounds every single time because he doesn't want to put it in the hands of the Phil Prop brothers, right? That is something remarkable. That's a remarkable achievement for the field pop others to just think that they're that much of a threat that in a national championship game your op- your opposition doesn't want to punt the ball to you at all right and then even um in the fourth quarter i don't think anyone takes this in but they took a chance and they punted the ball to to the field pop others and the reason why they punted the ball directly to them is because they want to get in a little hit on them you know what I'm saying? They wanted to weaken them a little bit, soften them a little bit for the fourth quarter so that, you know, they could get in a little shots, right? Even that right there, the fact that you're taking uh, special teams play as an opportunity to get a shot at uh, one of the best players on the opposing team, I mean, that just says Calgary dominated on specials, and they had that game in their hand when it comes to specials. Even if you look at the uh, – there was a short kick from Montreal. I think they were trying to go for an onside punt. I think they wanted to recover it, and Nick stands. He recovered it, one of the uh, DBs for Calgary, and he returned the ball like 40 yards and put Calgary into good field position, right? Now, Calgary threw an interception after, but listen, regardless, as you said, on specials, on specials, Calgary won the battle all day. And I also do want to highlight, you know, Montreal did have a few critical mistakes, right? They, there was there's a, a big pass interference play down the field in the second half. You had Kaya drop a, a catch, in this in the third quarter i believe and then you you also had uh shabbat like when he was returning a a a punt he fumbled it they did recover but of course when you fumble the ball that does get in in your psyche and and i'm a firm believer like there's a there's a saying that yoga yogi Berra said um about 90 percent of the game is mental and the other half is physical and of course you know mathematically that doesn't make sense but the emphasis is on the psyche of your of your game and a lot of the game is played between the ears. And so, yes, it's between the lines, but if you can control your emotions, if you can control the game with your with perceiving what's going to happen, you've won half the battle. 
But now, you know Shabbat's a baller, though. You saw what he did on Saturday. Here he is. He was Montreal's number one option, right? This this guy is five seven. He's a freshman, right? And he's out here balling in the Vanier Cup. If I'm Montreal, my most positive takeaway from the Vanier Cup is that Shabbat is in his first year, and I have him for another four years. So if I'm Anthony Calvillo on the Montreal Caravan, my goal right now going forth is to build my offense around Shabbat for the next four years. But honestly, congratulations to the Calgary Dinos. They were able to win their first Vanier Cup since 1995, and finally they were able to kind of break that streak of going to the big game and coming up short. Uh, the last four Vanier Cups that they've been to, they've lost, right? So it's good that they were able to finally get over the hump, and really for a team that has a huge alumni and just fan base in their city it was just great to see them capture that Vanier Cup title after just waiting 25 years so congratulations to them but Imad your overall thoughts of this game did you enjoy it did you not enjoy it just tell me what you thought about the product I, li- I like the products out there I liked that um, Calgary came out bald Montreal showed like they it was a close game up to the fourth quarter whereas like a, a one possession game and then a big turnover happened, so I'm, I'm not complaining. Quality of the game was really good. Um, and I just hope that we can now see other teams get to that level get to, or, or get to that that type of the, the close. A close game is always a better game, in my opinion, no matter if it's defensive, no matter if it's offensive. I just love to see competition. What do you think? Yeah, honestly, no. It was a good game, a uh, good product. Right, I enjoyed watching it. It was one of the better Vanier Cups in the last couple of years. I think it was the best Vanier Cup since Calgary and Laval a few years ago in 2016 uh, in Hamilton. Uh, my thing now is going forth. I need. I want to see more. I want to see new teams in the Vanier Cup. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't want to see Calgary in the Vanier Cup anymore. Right. I don't. I don't want to see Montreal. This is their third time in the Vanier Cup in, in this decade. I think for Calgary, this is their fifth time in this decade. We need new teams. We need to see new powerhouses appear in our national championship. In this decade, I believe the only teams that we've seen in the Vanier Cup, Western, Laval, Montreal, UBC, Calgary, McMaster, and I think that's it. Right? So yeah, so six teams. Six out of the twenty six out of the twenty seven teams have appeared in the national championship at one point during this decade, and UBC was only a, a one year thing, right? McMaster was two years, three years, so they went 2011, 2012, 2014. Laval was like every single year, right? Western was a two year thing, Montreal was a three year thing, Calgary I think four or five times, right? So we need to see new teams coming out of these conferences and, and competing in a national championship, right? Uh, we need to bring it back to how it was in the 90s and how it was in the 2000s when you'd have Laurier in the national championship. In the 90s, you'd have Waterloo in the national semifinal, right? You'd have Ottawa. You'd have the Saskatchewan Huskies, St. Mary's. Uh, we'll talk about the AUS. We need to have teams from the AUS come out of their conferences and, and, and win their bowl games, right? I need to see, we need to see just more competitive nature across the board. I'm tired of seeing these same six teams that coincidentally have more money, right, go deeper in the playoffs and end up in the national championship. It's becoming stale. 
right? And so I think we need to see more competitive nature across the board. And, and if, if that can happen, then I think we'll have a better product just from a overall standpoint. Yeah, and you know, like there, I feel like there's two ways to increase viewership, right? You either have like a true dynasty or increase parity. And so when you just have a limited amount of teams, like you mentioned about six teams that continue to just keep get to the national uh, title game, you only, like you're very limited in the, the level of production that you see and the level of quality that you see. And so if you increase the parity and see that there are various different teams, you'll increase your viewership across the across Canada, right? You'll you'll get viewers from, you know, the prairies or the maritime uh provinces and so that's what we're looking for um in canada or if you have like a team like let's say laval that continues to just be a true dynasty and just always make it to the the finals like how you see uh teams like new england and like how golden state used to be that that they just always make it there you will also increase viewership so either or i'd be personally happy with just what are your thoughts on that honestly really and truly i think the problem is well, one, this what will help is if we make a new playoff system, which is something that I talked about last week on the show. But I don't know if anyone notices this, but so the Vanier Cup was held in Laval. It was held at Laval in Quebec City. This is the third straight year it's been there. And the issue is, or my bad, the second straight year. The issue is you're starting to notice now that U Sports is determining certain things such as the venues that these games will be played in based on the dynasties, right? So to have the championship game be in Quebec City, the reason why they did it is because, hey, they felt like, you know, Laval was going to make it again because the chances of Laval making it to the Vanier Cup is literally 90% or at least 85%. And they said, hey, if we can have a home team again in the Vanier Cup, we're going to have a high attendance rate, right? And last year, you had Laval in the Vanier Cup, and the attendance was extremely high. But it was a lopsided game in so many different aspects. You're playing in the national championship. You're Western. You're in the national championship, and you're on the road. And the other team is at home, right? But you're, you're proclaimed the home team, right, because you're wearing your home jersey. But realistically, you know. You know it's a road game, right? And so I think really and truly what U-Sports needs to do is go back to making the game as fair as possible, right and a part of that is just changing not only the playoff system but also where you host these games you cannot be hosting these games in the home stadium of the league dynasty because you want to have high attendance rates because you think they're going to make it and it's going to look good on tv and you think it's going to make your your league look good no it doesn't make your league look good when you have laval playing at home for the national championship that doesn't happen in sports okay you don't have a team in the NFL playing at home in the Super Bowl. You rarely have. I mean, a couple years ago, you did have Georgia face Alabama in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you know, in Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia. So that was a home game. But, you know, the chances of that happening is, is rare, right? I think really and truly what U Sports needs to do with the Vanier Cup and where they host the game is they need to have a partnership with the CFL, right? So they did this in the early 2010s where – Whenever you'd buy a ticket to the Grey Cup, you'd also get a ticket to the Vanier Cup. You just pay a little extra money, you get a ticket to the Vanier Cup. And so you go see the Vanier Cup on the Saturday and the Grey Cup on the Sunday. And they'll both be played in the same venues, right? 
So, for example, this year, the Great Cup was in Calgary, right? So, okay, you would have had a home team playing, right? You would have had the Calgary Dinos playing. But at least it wouldn't have been determined based off of what teams are good within the league. It would have been determined based off of where the CFL chooses to place their Great Cup game, right? So, next year, the Great Cup's going to be in Regina, right? The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are going to host it, right? So, if U Sports is smart, what they'll do is they would hopefully pair that game, their Vanier Cup game, with the Great Cup game, have that partnership, and you know what? Sell tickets at probably like $15, $20 extra, $15 extra, right? If you buy a ticket to the Great Cup, if you spend a little extra $15, you get a ticket to the Vanier Cup as well, right? And that way, you're actually having a true national championship game that isn't determined by bias, right? It's more so determined by your partnership with the professional league, which is like the goal of every single player that's playing to get to that professional league. And also, you have a better attendance rate, right? It looks good. People are going to buy tickets. I mean, hey, I'm telling you right now, those people in Saskatchewan, they don't have no sports teams, right? The only teams that they have were Regina Rams, Saskatchewan Huskies, and Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So they're going to buy tickets to the Vanier Cup, right? So if I'm if I'm U Sports, I might look into that because, to be honest, I'll be honest with you, you try to, you know, have the home team play in the Vanier Cup this year, and it didn't work out, but you still had a Quebec team playing in the Vanier Cup, and the attendance still didn't look good. Still didn't look good. You know, you had 8,000 people, and, you know, that's all right, right? I'm pretty sure that's what Western averages, 8,000 people per game, right? But I was looking back, and, hey, the last time the CFL and the U Sports had this partnership where they would pair the two games, uh, 2012, when uh, the McMaster Marauders faced Laval Rouge Or in the Vanier Cup. And the game was held in Toronto at the Rogers Center because, you know, that's what Argos used to play. So, And that's where the Great Cup was held that year as well. And they had 37,000 people show up to that game, right? If you're a McMaster, if you're a Laval, if you're a U Sports football player in ca- and, and you're living in Canada, to play in front of 38,000 people is is amazing, right? And, and watching that game, the atmosphere was different. So my only suggestion to U Sports would be, hey, have that partnership with the CFL. Um you know, pair the Vanier Cup with the Grey Cup. You know, it, it belong, they belong together. It's a match made in heaven, right? And also, while you're doing it, it also allows the player, the athletes, to just go through a much better experience, right? To have that weekend and be involved in the festivities, be around CFL players, get that media coverage, because it's going to come hand in hand, right? If the media is there to cover the Grey Cup, they're going to cover the Vanier Cup too, right? So have that media coverage and, and give those players that experience that, you know, they really deserve, for the season that they had. So that's my only suggestion to the U Sports. No, and it's a really great suggestion that you have there. You know, it's a it's a thing where like, you know, opportunity does happen once in a lifetime. And so for many of these guys getting there to the that final game, it's like this could be the last time that they get to get to be somewhere like that and it, it would be such a great opportunity and exposure for these athletes where they're playing in a, sta- uh, a state-of-the-art facility and they're getting to experience uh, these cool activities these cool events that happen during the CFL uh, Great Cup and so of course I would you know totally be on board but you know there's obviously the intricacies of the the things that they have to pull together but yeah it would be such a great opportunity to uh to finally, you know, see these athletes perform and and see that pressure, right? And I believe that, what it, like, see how you said the 38,000 fans just watching this game creates pressure on these students playing in the game right now. And so when you put on pressure, 
on someone on anything you know what the the saying is when you put you know pressure creates diamonds and so you see such great product when you add all those fans when you add all those lights when you add those cameras you know a lot of people might you know crumble quote unquote but a lot of a lot more might actually blossom and you can see how great canadian student athletes are well i mean i agree with you completely emad i mean really and truly when i look back to that uh, vanier cup 2012 i really i watched i rewatched the whole game the other day and watching just kyle quinlan right if you don't know if you don't know kyle quinlan and you're a quarterback in this country research kyle quinlan all right Watching Kyle Quinlan tear apart that Laval defense in the first quarter, doing all t sorts of stuff, rushing for touchdowns um, in 2011, hurdling people, all that stuff, it does create diamonds, right? Really and truly, just that pressure that comes from these large crowds really does bring out the best in some athletes. And, hey, sometimes it can bring out the worst. But at the end of the day, you're seeing the true product of what these teams are um, on the field when, when they are in competing in front of these big crowds so uh canada u sports cfl please uh, create that partnership again we're longing to see it and i just think financially it'll be it'll be good for canadian football and the growth of the game in general so i want to switch over to uh talking about some awards can you finally finally hop on the lamar jackson bandwagon can you do that with me? All right. Here we go. So, uh, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. What I've seen from Lamar Jackson the last couple of weeks, especially since we last talked about Lamar Jackson on this podcast, has been sensational. I'm going to admit it. All right. I'm going to admit it. The MVP race was Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson, head-to-head, neck-to-neck. But I ain't going to hop on the bandwagon right now, man. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, man. I, I'm going to be real, though. Lamar Jackson's been tearing it up. I don't remember a time when an athletic quarterback was this dominant in the NFL. Uh, Michael Vick, let me tell you something. Michael Vick, back in the day, was something, okay? But what we're seeing from Lamar Jackson right now is crazy. And the reason being is because, <laughs> listen, Harbaugh is implementing the read option. You're having three Heisman Trophy winners <laughs> running the option. Okay? Like, this, I think the luxury, the luxury of just play calling and the luxury of scheming that Lamar Jackson has right now, Michael Vick didn't have that back in the day. And you pointed this out a couple weeks ago on the podcast. You said back in the day, Atlanta just built their offense around Vick. They just let him do his thing, right? They just let him do his thing because what was going on right now, what was going on with him at the time in the NFL was new, right? Football's come a long way since then. It's just, it's been a little, it's been a little over 10 years. It's been 15, almost 20 years actually. But this, the play calling, the scheming that's gone on and, and how the game has changed from just a play call standpoint, is completely different. And so right now what you're seeing is, here is a day and age where when it comes to play calling, when it comes to scheming, when it comes to athletic quarterbacks, the scheming is at its peak, right? Play calling is at its peak, okay? You have play calls, you have ideologies, 
that exist for the running quarterback, right? And then now you have probably the best running quarterback in the game, the best athletic quarterback in the game. So you have the best athletic quarterback in the game who's taking advantage of probably the strongest play-calling ideologies ever made for an athletic quarterback, right? I mean, that's what the game is right now. It's as modern as, as can be. The game is caught up, right? And so it's just dangerous. What you're seeing Lamar Jackson do is dangerous. And I'm telling you right now, Lamar Jackson is not a soft guy. When he leaves the pocket, he becomes a running back. He's lowering his shoulder, and he's looking for contact, and he wants to hit somebody. He wants to stiff-arm somebody, and that's what makes him special. He's not fragile. So he's different from a lot of the, the versatile running quarterbacks that we've seen throughout this decade. Um, man, like if this was – this was RG three, remember RG three? Hey, they didn't want they didn't want to get him hit, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure the game that he tore out his knee was against Baltimore, right? Way back, way back, right? So was it Seattle or was it Baltimore? I think it was Haloli Nada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Haloli Nada took out his knee, right? And his knee wrapped around Haloli Nada's helmet, right? So Lamar Jackson is is something special, man. I think really and truly, looking at this man, looking at him play, we're seeing. I think truly one of the, the greatest athletes to ever grace the quarterback position. I can say that right now, even though it's early. And I know you'll agree with me. And he's really just taking advantage of how modern the game has come with regards to accommodating the running quarterback. And and it's it's just it's beautiful to see. It's something that we've never really seen before. Even with RG3, we've never seen it before. And, you know, like, the thing is, is that this guy is not just running, which everybody thought he was going to do. Like, you know, this guy threw the ball four times in the first quarter. He's through two touchdown passes and you know the, he wait he goes through his progressions you know like a lot of a lot of first year second year qbs like i see a lot of baker mayfield doing this they only go through one maybe even two to see their second favorite receiver and then they'll just run but you see lamar you see lamar just read 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 and then there's even a pass in like the third the second half i believe where he kind of sidearmed it and pulled the patty mahomes on him and so if you can be – if Pat, Patrick Mahomes had a great year last year, people are no longer talking about that. That's how good Lamar Jackson is. Like, Lamar Jackson has a couple fewer uh, passing touchdowns, I believe, than Russell Wilson. But if you add in his running touchdowns, he now has more. So I don't really know how this guy does not win MVP. Like, I don't care – who most improved is he's most improved but i don't even care who most improved is as long as this guy gets mvp because that's all i want to see him do i just want to see him get recognized for the things that he actually has done you know you talked about passing and listen i'm looking at stats after the games and i'm seeing lamar jackson on a consistent basis only having five six incompletions less than five sometimes right he's having 80% completion rates, right? That is, <laughs> that's crazy, right? And it's getting to the point now where sometimes he's scoring just as much touchdowns, maybe even more than his actual incompletions. It, like, that is ridiculous, right? The last the last time I've seen that was back in the Kurt Warner days, right? Back in the late 2000s when he was with Arizona, right? Um, Honestly, honestly, I'm going to just put it out there right now. Yes, Lamar Jackson is most improved. Uh, I don't, I mean, considering the fact that he came into last season not being a starting quarterback and was questioned as a quarterback, the fact that right now he is definitely the best quarterback in the game makes him the most improved athlete, most improved player from an MP MVP standpoint. 
uh, honestly, I agree with you. Like, he's pulling ahead of Russell Wilson a little bit. And, yeah, you're right. Total touchdowns, he has it, right? And the the question is now, though, I'm going to come back to you with this now. The MVP debate will always have two spectrums. And one of those spectrums is who's more valuable to their team, right? So I want your opinion right now, Emad. Who's more valuable to their team, Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson? Lamar Jackson, no doubt. No doubt. This guy is sec- – he, he brought his team to the second-best record in the AFC, and he's beaten the best team in the AFC. He's beaten Russell Wilson in the N- – he's beaten every team that you want to ask if they're actually if, – if this team is better than him or not. I don't know what this guy has to do. This guy has all the doubters in the world, apparently, and we still – don't want to give him MVP. We still don't want to, you know, we're fine. Like I see the NFL finally giving him the credit, you know, back in, back when he was drafted, a lot of guys were like, Oh, uh, I don't think he should do, should be a QB. I think we should just draft him as a wide receiver running back. What? For why? For why? Like, I need to know analysts. I need to know experts. Why are you telling this guy who we're now comparing to Mike Vick, being better than Mike Vick, carrying a team all the way to to the second best record in the AFC. And honestly, I probably won't be shocked if they get to the first team. If they actually do get to see uh, the Patriots and beat them. Oh, no, yeah, I'm calling it right now. They will beat Tom Brady. Who are we talking about now? Old man Tom? This has become an athletic league. And now you see that the, the, the not-so-good quarterbacks are the ones that aren't athletic. Who's talking about Phil Rivers? Who? Who's talking about Tom Brady? He's still go, but who? who's talking about him? We're not talking about these guys that are just, you know, m- managing the pocket, throwing these picks. No, we're talking about guys that can escape. We're talking about escapability, elusive, and proper throws. Those are the things we're talking about in a g- good QB. If they can read the, the, the progressions, they are the next guy. And so now we're putting Lamar and saying, oh, I don't know if we should give him MVP. No, we should. We really should. And we we should also recognize that, yes, these experts and analysis were wrong, that they were going to rob us from this year, that they were going to rob us from this guy's true value and presence in this league. So don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't do what you want to do. You know, on an impromptu, what grinds your gears, that that grinds my gears. What you When you want to do something when you know you're better than people at certain levels at certain aspects why not just do it right you 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 don't need to tell people uh, to to get people to encourage you you just need to believe in yourself and you'll get there and i know lamar jackson does right and i know every athlete that's performing at a high level you even see luca you you see Giannis winning mvp last year these guys didn't come from the easiest path and a lot of your success, a lot of your growth will come through that. And, you you know, there's if you get to the top level at a fast rate, that builds ego. But if you get to the top level at a slow rate, that builds character. And you see character in Lamar. And you see character in Giannis. And you see character in all these successful athletes that have slowly gone to the top. Now, Emad, I'm going to have to play devil's advocate here. All right. See, now you talked about Luca, Giannis, Lamar reaching the top at slow pace. Emad, Lamar's in his second year in the league. Luca's in his second year in the league. Giannis is in his fourth or fifth year in the league. 
this seems like pretty fast growth, Emad. Luca's 20 years old. Lamar is 22, right? I'm pretty sure Giannis is, what, 24? Right, so these are guys that are rising to the top really, really fast. These are fast bloomers. So what do you have to say to that? Like, what do you have to say to, to someone like myself that says, hey, no, like, these are fast bloomers, and these are guys that are getting it right away. I mean, I, I'll give Giannis. Hey, Giannis, his growth was, was something, right? I mean, we've seen him grow into an absolute beast. When he entered the league, his 2K rating was 64%, okay? <laughs> his 2K rating was 64%. Never forget, all right? Short hair Giannis, 190 pounds soaking wet, 64 overall rating on 2K, all right? But guys like Luca, Lamar, they've gotten to the top pretty quick. What do you have to say about that? But are we talking about Zion? Zion has apparently already gotten to the top very quickly too. And he hasn't even played a game. A game. And this guy was balling. Yeah, sure, he was balling high school. He was balling in Duke. And then he tore his shoe. And now we don't see him play because we're, we're just afraid if he's going to you know tear something else. He's too big. And we get that. But that that is an example of a guy that's rising to the top and like very fast too. And so when I talk about Lamar, when I talk about Giannis, when I talk about Luka, these guys are producing and playing consistently well at a top level right you have Lamar last year he started halfway through the year he only lost two games and you know people still said "Mm, I don't know if he should still be the quarterback and then we have this year and we're like okay yeah maybe he is the truth and then you have Luca that doesn't talk much he just balls out puts up 30 dishes out 10 grabs grabs nine and he still is just humble we just still don't know what his peak is a lot of guys that talk a lot are the ones that, you know, that's where the ego is. And one of your favorite players, Trey Young, he's not actually your favorite player, but he's <laughs> he's the guy that, to me, that's like an ego boost where he just ro- rose to the top without really a- no substance, no truth. Okay, first off, I despise Trey Young. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> Don't ever... <laughs> call him one of my favorite players again um for those of you who are listening if you don't know i have a a personal vendetta against trey young okay i think that trey young is all talk um no play all right you only hear him when he has a good game okay um and and really and truly just a little small spiel right here the reason why i don't like trey young is because he is someone that likes to identify himself with going through struggle when he's been through no struggle at all none whatsoever all right, the other, day, the other day, he had, what was it, a 50-point, 40-point game? And he came on social media, came on Twitter saying, the disrespect needs to be as loud. Oh, no. The apology needs to be as loud as the disrespect was. That's what he said. The apology needs to be as loud as the disrespect was. And my thing is, what disrespect have you ever encountered? The only disrespect that Trey Young has ever encountered is that people said Luka Doncic was better than him. Just one person in his draft class. And hey, if you're telling me right now Trey Young is better than Luka Doncic, then you need to get into per- per- concussion protocol right now, okay? Concussion protocol right now because something's up. <laughs> something's up, okay? I don't know if he took a hit from Jack Hinsberger. I don't know if he took a hit from Josh Brown, but let me tell you something. Something's up, okay? Uh, that's, that's, all, that's my thing with Trey Young, okay? He goes around talking about, oh, he's been disrespected. He's been disrespected. No, he's never been disrespected. All people said is that Luka Doncic is better than him. That's it. And hey, Luca's averaging 
a triple double nearly right now. He's averaging thirty points a game, and he's being compared to LeBron James. Trey Young, where are you at? Again, you had a little triple double the other night. Good for you and your loss to the Raptors. Oh, what a surprise! Pascal put the beat down on you, embarrass you in your own hometown. You're pathetic, pathetic. Emad, though, back to what you were talking about. All right, back to what you were talking about. <laughs> okay, uh, no man, I get you completely, man. Honestly, uh, there's a lot of these. It it is the consensus, though. I do agree with you that there are athletes who are coming out of college. The ones that often get questioned the most are are often the ones that tend to bloom, um, sometimes early in their careers. Right? I mean. You looked at, we looked at Lamar Jackson. Here's a man who was one of the most dominant quarterbacks in <laughs> the NCAA for Louisville. He was the youngest Heisman Trophy winner of all time, 19 years old. And coming into the draft, people are saying, hey, can he even play quarterback? I'm pretty sure he didn't run his 40-yard dash, right? He didn't, he didn't run his 40-yard dash. He was a man that faced that struggle um, because he didn't match the blueprint of what it meant to be a quarterback in the NFL. Right, and there's some issues there that we may not get into. There's some underlying issues there that we may not get into, but you can fill in the blanks for yourself. But that's a person that faced struggle. Luka Doncic, coming into the draft, no one even knew who he was. Why? Because he played in Europe, right? And so a lot of people questioned, "Oh my gosh, this guy played in Europe. He didn't play in the NCAA. Who is he? Right? Who is this guy? Who is Luka Doncic? I didn't learn about Luka Doncic until like a week before the draft, right?" And so because he didn't he didn't play it in the United States and because he didn't play in the NCAA, because he decided to, well, because he grew up in Europe and because he played amongst more elite talent in Europe, professional athletes in Europe, um, but because it wasn't the blueprint of what it meant to get to the NBA, people questioned his talent and who he was. Nobody knew that, oh, this, this here's a man that was EuroLeague MVP at age 18. Right. No one was taking that in. No one was listening to that. People were just saying, oh, he's from Europe. Who is this guy? Right. So and now look at him. Right. He is number two in the MVP debate. He's averaging nearly a triple double right now. Better than Trey Young. Right. And he's being compared to LeBron James in the second year. And I'm telling you right now, Luka Doncic right now, after Pascal Siakam, is the most dangerous man in the NBA. Right. He's the most dangerous man in the NBA because you have a good player. You have a good player who's not only good, but thinks he's the baddest man on the court, right? And that's a problem, okay? If you have a player who's good, who's the best, who's one of the best, but thinks he's also the baddest man on the court, has no fear, has no fear of nobody, is willing to guard anybody, and is willing to go up one-on-one against anybody, that's dangerous. I think Luka Doncic is a gangster. I'm going to tell you that straight up. I think he's a gangster, all right? So... That's Luca, and then we talk about Giannis. Um, Giannis faced immense amounts of struggles, right? I mean, first of all, he grew up in Greece, right? Let's 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 address that first, right? He he didn't start playing basketball until his teens, right? Um, and Masai Ujiri discovered Giannis and brought him to the United States, right? And and ultimately, the Bucks took a chance on him, right? The Bucks took a chance on this kid from Greece who didn't know much English at the time, who didn't have a physically uh, appealing body of a professional athlete, right, in terms of just, like, his strength, his size, growth, everything. But they saw potential in him just based on the measurements, like his length, like, right, his length. And they saw the potential of what he could become, and they took a chance on him. And now 
Come on now. He's the most physical, physically dominant force in the league since Shaquille O'Neal. I'll always say it, and I'll always agree with that point, right? So, yeah, these are athletes that you list that have faced immense amounts of struggles, and, you know, because they've had that pressure on them, we talk about pressure makes diamonds, because they've had that pressure on them to fail because of the struggles they've been through, not the struggles they've been through, but because of the media struggles and stigmas that they've faced, they've ended up shining, right? So I agree with you 100%. Lamar, Luca, and Giannis, great examples, right? And then you, you talked about Yon, and then you talked about Zion. Here's a guy that, <laughs> hey, it's funny because Luca's being compared to LeBron right now, but don't forget, two months ago, the person that was being compared to LeBron was Zion, right? And where's Zion right now? I, he ain't even playing. He needs to lose weight. That's what he needs to do. So I agree with you 100%, Iman. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, I just want to, like, end off my thoughts. And it's just, like, what you were saying about these, like, these guys that have faced the struggle, have faced the doubt, you know, it's, it's like, of course, everybody, hopefully everybody knows that, like, path to success, never straight, never narrow. It's always obstacles on obstacles. And you know what? It's never easy right and the one thing that i like i hope people remember is that you know doubt always preludes joy always right you'll have people were doubting lamar look at him now people were doubting luca when they drafted him look at him now people were drafting Giannis, and and people were even when they drafted tom brady you know doubt always preludes joy and so it's that's just the thing that you must remember when you make the next choice when you make the next move is that believe it and something will good happen and with that, I do want to wrap up today's podcast. Do think we killed it? What do you think? I think today was solid. I honestly, I had fun today. I think it was solid. I enjoyed all the conversations that we had, and I really hope you do too. Um, first things first, follow us on IG at Persevere underscore. All right, follow us on Twitter at Persevere One because we're the only one. And also, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Okay. If you missed the Vanier Cup, we got Vanier Cup highlights. The only one on YouTube right now. Okay, U Sports didn't even put up a Vanier Cup highlight. That says something. But we got the 55th Vanier Cup highlights on YouTube right now. So if you want to check out the game and see what happened during the game and go beyond our conversation, just search up Vanier Cup on YouTube, and it's the first video that pops up. Make it nice and easy for you, all right? Awesome. So, Emad, what you got to say to the people? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening for today's podcast the fifth one we're rolling we are rolling and i want to let you guys know that we love you that we appreciate you that we're very thankful and to always remember to inspire to believe and to persevere thank you we love you we love you yo 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 shay play that through the wire